Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Live. Um, so, I do like to dabble with the filters on Instagram. I'm not sure what this filter is. Is it doing anything except making it go a bit brown? Don't really think so. So, I'm going to take it off. Oh, well, there wasn't a filter on. Anyway, okay, so, oh, something's happening now. Um, so I've got some quite hold on a minute, what's going on now? The snow now. What is going on here? Uh filled right, okay. Um Okay, I'm gonna click off. I think there's no filter on the Instagram, is there? Can't see half the screen's taken up with the um yeah, I've got a question here, which says, what's the difference between saline and silicone implants? Good question. So um, basically, the difference is the contents of the implant. So when you have an implant, you've got contents and, you, and you've got a shell. And the two options for the contents are saline and silicone. Now, saline are kind of filled with saline, which is water, basically, salty water. Um, we don't tend to use them in this country. I don't really know anyone. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone in this country who uses saline implants. I don't, personally, uh, I don't know anyone who uses saline implants. Put it like that. Personally, I don't. So there may well be someone in this country who uses saline implants, but I personally don't know anyone who uses saline implants. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone use saline implants. So I don't think we use them much in this country. They do use them a bit in America still because silicone implants were banned for a while, so they had to use saline implants but in this country we don't really use um saline implants all the implants that we use are silicone gel now even saline implants have got a silicone shell um but the difference is that uh, it's like anything in what life there's pros and cons and there's certainly pros of saline implants the pros of saline implants are if someone says i don't want any silicone in me and as i say there was a time when silicone gel implants were banned in america because they thought it caused um, autoimmune diseases uh, they've subsequently been um, brought back but um, even saline implants have got a silicone shell so you still have silicone inside if inside you if you have a saline implant but I guess you could argue it's kind of less silicone um, the uh, saline implants um, in one way you could say they're kind of safer if they um, if they rupture because it's just water it's it's it's, uh, it's watery um fluid watery water so it's all water uh but one of the cons of them along the same lines is they can uh kind of deflate they can they can lose they, they can the water can sort of leach out through the shell and they can de deflate and lose volume um the other benefit is that you can put them in through a smaller incision so if uh, you've ever heard of the tuba t-u-b-a um, trans umbilical breast augmentation where they use an incision around the belly button to put them in 
um, because they can sort of feed them up into the breast. I'm not sure if that's a gimmick. I think it is a thing. Again, never seen it done, but I guess if you kind of put an empty plastic bag up through the belly button and fed it up into the breast and then blew it up separately, you could use a very small incision. So that's a benefit of them. The main problem with them is that they are just that. They are bags of, of fluid, so they're much more prone to rippling. Uh, and the deflation thing can be a bit of a nuisance if they deflate and lose volume. Uh, and the modern day implants are what's called cohesive gel, which means that if they do rupture, if the shell does fail, the silicone doesn't leak kind of throughout the body. It sort of stays in place. So the modern ones are, are, are safer if they, if they rupture. So that becomes less of an issue with, uh, with the, the concern of, of rupture. So um, in my practice, there's not a huge benefit of saline ones, and I would be, be I would be particularly worried about um, rippling if I used a saline implant. But uh, uh, and and also I haven't had much much slash any experience with them because um, because as I said they're not commonly used in the UK. So uh, so yeah, so there's lots to decide when you're having implants: what type of implant, what shape of implant, whether you put the implant in front of behind the muscle. The volume so there's all sorts to decide um and saline and silicone is one decision to have but uh, if there's any strength in numbers the majority in this country are silicone um although there are differences in terms of the shell but uh, in terms of the contents the majority are silicone gel do we offer laser cyst removal no we don't we don't well First of all, we don't do laser, so that would sort of ask that question straight off. So we don't do laser in the clinic. Um, laser cyst removal is, I'm not really aware of it being much of a thing. Um, that there's different kind of types of lasers, and there are a lot of lasers which will target a sort of, a, a, like a color. For instance, red, for instance, blood vessels. So things like red things like red scars or red um, uh, vascular malformations or, um, you know, um, red patches and things, tattoos maybe. So lasers will target a certain um, color or, or a certain pigment. Um, if you're going to use the, the, the thing about a cyst, a cyst is not in the skin. A cyst is underneath the skin. So... Um, you know, if you're going to use a laser, if you're going to consider using a laser to remove a cyst, you have to kind of get through the skin to where the cyst is. So the only way you could do that in my in my mind, I mean, if someone does do laser cyst removal, then you're obviously better off talking to them because they're probably no for real. But in my mind, the only way you could do that is to kind of, you could kind of, kind of like cut a hole in the skin. So then you'd be using like an ablative laser. So some lasers... Uh, you can use a laser kind of the same way you use a knife in that, in that it cuts skin. Um, so if you're using a laser that kind of cuts skin, then you could, I guess, cut it out or you could make a hole in it or something and like get the contents out. The problem with a cyst is you have to remove the cyst wall. And so you have to kind of, I guess you could make an ellipse and get, get a cyst out with a laser just like you can with a knife. Um, so I guess that's a, an option, but there's no difference in doing that to the to using a knife really so you've got to ask yourself what will be the benefit in doing that um compared to using a knife so um 
yeah so we don't offer it and i don't know anyone who does if if someone does offer it let me know how they do it because there might be something that i'm missing here but uh i think you know in order to get a cyst out you have to get through the skin because it's underneath the skin so i'm not aware of anything that can somehow sort of target the cyst um and so whether you use a laser to cut through the skin or a or a knife to cut through the skin they're, they're doing a similar kind of thing and um so yeah so i, I don't think laser cyst removal in my uh realm is not really a, a thing that i've really heard of how do, long does it take to recover from tattoo excision so tattoo excision is like excising any sort of uh, anything any any lesion or, or, or mold or you know it's just exciting a piece of skin and so it really depends on how big a piece of skin you're exciting so if you have a tattoo a really small tattoo just like you have a really small mole that's going to heal up quite quickly and you know after a week you're going to be pretty good uh, although the scar will be red for a few months yeah, but sometimes we do some quite big tattoos which are quite tight uh, so if you've got a big tattoo i mean by definition you're going to be exciting a piece of skin because that's that's how we do tattoo removal by excising it and so it will be quite um, potentially quite tight. Uh, and so if it is quite tight, particularly if it's in a tight area around a joint, you know, around somewhere that's moving, then you have got to be a bit, a bit more careful. And we will advise you uh, about this when you have it done. But um, if, you, if it is on an area that's under tension, we will advise you to avoid putting excessive tension. I mean, moving is good, but not putting excessive tension, lifting, um, you know, sports, things like that. Well, probably four to six weeks to get the strength in it so if it is um you know the recovery you'll be sort of back to work as long as you've got an office job but if you're sort of manually handling people if you're you know um, moving people around or lifting heavy items then it'll probably be a month before you're lifting anything too heavy and then we, we'd be gradually doing it as if, if you're going to be putting tension on the wound we don't really want tension on the wound but the scar will probably be red and active for a few months and it you know it might take six to twelve months for it to really properly settle and fade advice on removing a mole from the tip of nose um so here we go this is quite a long one i've got a flat mole on the tip of my nose i went for laser surgery to get it removed or laser again here uh, i believe that the laser used by the doctor was called ruby laser the mole was gone for three days then it came back the doctor said that no laser would be able to get it removed and that the only way to get it permanently removed was by cutting it off. But he refused to do the procedure because he said it would leave a scar. Now, a friend of mine told me that if I go to a plastic surgeon, it would leave minimal to no scarring. What do you think is the best move? Is there a better way of removing this mole? And will cutting it off really leave a bad scar? The mole is very small. So, yeah, it goes back to laser and sometimes people talk about laser removals of moles and, and you can do a laser removal of a mole. But, you know, what the way I put it to people is that if you're removing a mole by laser, you've got to remove the full thickness of the skin. You can't, um, it, it's, it's unless it's quite a superficial thing, but most moles you have to kind of remove all of the pigment. And that usually means destroying all of the skin somehow, whether that be with a, you know, scraping it or with a, blade cutting it out and stitching it up or with a laser destroying it or as i say with an ablative laser to cut it out just like you would with a knife so the more kind of skin you remove the more scarring you're going to get and with a mole you'll probably if you're going to remove all of the mole I mean, that's the balance you know if you use a laser or some way of a lot of people on the um on the youtube and things often 
talk about these other ways of removing mold with vinegar and acid, God knows what, you know, they're all sorts. So if you're going to remove things that only damage the skin, and they think it's no scarring. So if it's no scarring, then it's only going to superficially damage the skin. So the more superficially you damage the skin, the less scarring. But the more superficially you damage the skin, the less of the depth of pigment you're going to remove. And so what you'll find is when you've that's healed, you might still have the mold. So um, that's the problem. You, in order to um, convincingly remove a mold, you have to remove all of the pigment. Um, and that usually removes pretty much the full thickness of the skin, unless you're talking about a shave excision, which is these raised lesions, which are often not pigmented. But certainly a pigmented, a brown mold, you often need to remove the whole area of the skin. Um, and you can do that with a laser, but that's again going back to the ablative laser, the cutting laser, which cuts just like a knife. And so there's nothing wrong with that, um, but it will leave a scar just like a knife will leave, and you won't be able to send it for histology. That's the other thing. You won't be able to send it away for analysis. So if you've got multiple moles, it might be reasonable to use a laser for that. But if you've got one, and particularly if you want to send it off for histology, and it is good practice to send off brown moles for histology just to be um, confirmed that it was nothing to worry about, um, then, then you would need to um, remove it somehow, whether that be an ablative laser or a a knife and I would say that a knife is better because you can remove you can send it histology so you might say he would say that because he uses knives well okay but I don't really don't mind if you know like tattoos I always say look lasers first port of call I'm not going to say excision is first port of call go for a laser definitely first port of call I've got no qualms in recommending laser for people with tattoos but I have got qualms for recommending laser for people with molds um so, yeah, plastic surgeons leave minimal to no scarring. Now, our work is focused on leaving minimal scarring, and uh, we, were, we will work hard to do that. The, one of the issues is when you've got a mole, particularly somewhere like the nose, quite a prominent area, you have to leave a scar where the, where the mole is. But we will do our best to place that scar in, the, uh, in a favourable position. We will do our best to have it in a line that's perhaps will fade and maybe into a wrinkle or what have you, or into a shadow, if we can. But if it's kind of like center of the nose, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So by, by, by for sure, we're going to leave as little scarring as possible. But uh, it really needs a consultation as to whether it's worth it. Because, you know, you say we leave a really bad scar. Now, usually scars on the face heal well, which we're fortunate. So usually they heal well. You can never guarantee it. And what it will come down to at the end of the day is how much it bothers you as to whether it's worth the scar. There's always a balance and there will be a scar. We can do our best to try and give you an idea what that scar will be like, but no one can 100% tell you how it's gonna how it's gonna be. So if it doesn't bother you that much, then don't have it done. But if it bothers you, then, then it might be worth having it done. But sometimes I warn people, especially if it's a small mole, yes, then it's gonna be a small scar. But sometimes they say, look, the scar might be similar to the mole, you know, um, so, is it worth it? You know, hopefully the scar will be really good and it'll fade and it'll be hard to see. That's always what we're aiming for. But we can never 100%. No one can. No one can guarantee that's going to happen. Uh, we're always aiming for it. But we can never guarantee it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a discussion with the surgeon. Um, and if it bothers you enough, then fine. But uh, 
if it's a benign mole, then you do have to weigh up the pros and cons of uh, having a scar versus um, leaving the mole. And it's a tough one for show. Um, after breastfeeding, is it better to wait six or 12 months before considering breast surgery? Well, this goes down, I would say, to the word better. Better for who? So better for me is longer. The longer, the better. So 12 months is better than six months, if you ask me. The longer you, bet, the longer you leave it, the better, for a couple of reasons. Number one reason, your breasts have to recover after breastfeeding. And so the longer you give them to recover, um, the, the better to see where we're going to be, to see where we are with volume, with shape, the skin might retract, the size might change. So if we, we, we want to see where the, we really want to be operating on a stable platform. So the longer it's stable, the better. So from a surgical point of view, 12 months is better than six. However, sometimes, I think six is kind of widely regarded as being kind of minimum, you know, um, because you, you, lead, you lead the breast needs to, to, to settle. I think, well, three, three to six is, is kind of like the, 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 the sort of standard um, because the breast needs to settle and you need to settle. And also you've got a newborn baby, presumably if you're breastfeeding. So you need, you need to take that into account. But sometimes patients want to have surgeries before 12 months because breast, um, maternity leave is 12 months. So I can completely understand that you don't want to take 12 months off maternity leave, go back to work and then say, can I have another month off because I'm having you know, some kind of um, breast surgery. So I completely understand why people want it within the 12 months, so maybe like 10 months or something. So um, it's not written in stone. I think it's kind of okay to do it at six months if things seem to be settling, but the longer you leave it, the better. So if you ask me, I would always go up to the 12 month end of things um you know the longer the better i completely understand why some people say look you know what i've got 12 months off i'm going back to work in whenever you know i'm, I'm in my mind i've got it all planned and i want to have it done in you know maybe 10 months post uh breastfeeding or whatever so it's kind of something you need to sort of think about and weigh up in your um in your own mind as to whether that's when the good time for you uh is so you and we will work with you yeah partnership right it's together we're not against each other we want to get the best result for you and as i say i can say you've got to wait 12 months but you might say well look you know what it really suit me to have it done in you know september or february or whatever and we're like okay well that's 10 months yeah all right we'll do that then i would be like well it might be better to wait a couple more months because things might settle and you might say well i don't think they will well okay it's your body if you don't think you will that's fine the only thing is if you do surgery now and they do settle they do get some you know you use implants or something like that and they get smaller um then you might want it a bit so you know you want to get the best we both want the best result you know and so we're just trying to get the best result so yeah so that's where i am on the breastfeeding question So um, that's, uh, well, I'm, I'm out. I've got, I'll be honest, I'm out of questions on that one. So um, if you've got a question, message me, phone me, um, in, Instagram me. Instagram, oh, Loco Loopy Loos has got a question. 
higher after an uplift with implants, is it normal to have fat left around the bra line area? Should this have been removed or is this a separate surgery? So very good, loco loopy-loos. I think a lot of stuff. Um, something I work hard at. I think we all, well, I hope we all do. Anyway, I work hard at is trying to be honest, not on it, not on it. I'm not saying people are being dishonest, trying to be realistic with patients about what you can achieve with surgery. Before surgery, explanation is better than revelation. So you've got to tell people before surgery what they can expect so they can make an informed decision whether or not to have surgery. And I think the thing you're talking about might be, is it here? Often here, people have got a bit of fullness here. Yeah, called accessory breast tissue. Um, maybe it's here. Maybe it's on your bra strap. But anyway, the answer to your question is that, yeah, that, that, that's not part of a breast lift with implants. The breast lift with implants, we're dealing with your breast. Think about where your scars are. We can't, we don't get up here. We don't get down here. Um, yeah, the side bits, yeah. So you can't really get to those bits when you do a, when you do a, a, a breast lift with implants. So kind of ideally, and I know it's not an ideal world because you probably had, you know, obviously the focus was on your breasts pre-op, but ideally, um, and I'm, you know, we're all learning and I'm trying to, you know, make sure I say to pay you, I see things, say, look, I don't want, so you've got to get the balance because you can't, kind of don't want to give people a problem they didn't have, but at the same time, you want to point things out pre-op because you don't want to say, oh yeah, I think that doesn't get sorted in breast lift with implants. Because what you can do is you can do liposuction sometimes to these, certainly to these bits here and to these bits. You might, you know, you can do liposuction to address those bits. And you can do that at the time of your breast lift with implants, but it is kind of like a separate surgery. Um, but it's, I can understand the frustration if, if you've had surgery and you're left with bits that you didn't like before, which you kind of thought were going to be addressed and they're not addressed. And then it's like, you know, if you told me, I could have made a decision whether or not to have liposuction. And I might have made the decision not to have liposuction, which is fine, but at least I would have accepted that they pointed out these bits will remain. And they've accepted, you know, you've accepted what you can do with a breast lift with implants. Because when you're doing a breast lift uh, or a reduction or, or, or whatever, you're dealing with the breast itself. You're not really doing much to the sides. You're doing to the lateral breast, yes, but not out here, not over by the bra straps and not up here underneath the armpit. There's a bit of a bit of a bit so that is a, an issue so yeah that's uh, interesting you asked that question logo looby loos and i hope you're not uh, you know it is you i hope you're not too disappointed if that's happened and you, you've discovered afterwards that that wasn't going to be addressed um but it's uh yeah part of this part of the job is to try and yeah try and get try and tell you before jackie's got a question jackie um top Top dog, Jackie, where, in brackets, which hospitals do you perform larger surgeries? So, Jackie, uh, short answer, Asset Hospital in Liverpool. Long answer is you're like, what, Liverpool? I'm like, yeah. Um, it, yeah, basically, because um, I'm in Birmingham. I'm based in Birmingham. Uh, I used to work at the Priory, which is about five minutes away from my clinic in central Birmingham. And at the Parkway, which is uh, about half an hour away in Solihull. So I used to regularly work there. But, but um, Parkway on, on a Monday and prior on Tuesday. Do you know what it's like when, a bit like the COVID thing, when you kind of look back and realise that things <laughs> you didn't appreciate. You've got to appreciate things, don't you? You didn't appreciate things 
that when you haven't got them, you think, crikey, God, that was great. I could just do an operating list. I'll go half an hour down the road to an operating list, then halfway home, half an hour home, you know, home for home for dinner, home for lunch. Hi, kids. How was it there at school? Anyway, um, anyway, no, 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 no point in lamenting how used to uh, life used to be. Oh, you're in Cheshire. Oh, well, you're up that way. So now, yeah, the surgery is in uh, in Liverpool, in Wiston, um, because I used to work in Wiston, in Wiston Hospital. Uh, I trained there, and one of the guys I trained with has got his own hospital, basically, just up the road from Wiston Hospital. And that is happening more and more with plastic surgeons. You're finding more and more plastic surgeons are getting their own hospitals because the private hospitals are focusing a lot on their NHS work. They're doing a lot of orthopedic work, and there's not really an appetite to sort of do much in terms of the um, the cosmetic work. And so the Priory, which is five minutes away from my clinic, have said no cosmetic surgery, which is a shame because it's nice that it's five minutes down the road. Parkway do do some, but it is difficult getting into the hospitals and it's difficult because, as I say, I think they're focusing a lot on uh, orthopedics and NHS waiting lists and what have you. So the most sort of, um, what's the word, um, kind of steady, is is in the asset hospital in Liverpool, so uh, near you, Jackie, near you, because in in uh, yeah, just off the M M sixty seven, is it? It's actually quite convenient to get to because uh, you just got the M uh, oh, five, no five or six five M yeah, M five, and then you um, anyway, yeah, it's Wiston, so outskirts of Liverpool. That's where it is. Uh, nice place, nice nice bunch there. Um, really nice bunch and so uh, yeah I, and again talking about gratitude and things I'm just grateful I've got somewhere to operate to be honest to be quite honest with you Jackie so um, you know I am uh, trying to practice gratitude even the fact that I've got to drive an hour 45 up there and back I'm just happy that I've got a reliable source of, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an operating theatre that I can use with a nice bunch of people because uh, certainly around the Covid time it was pretty Difficult to get into theatres. Loco Loopy, what you got? I'm disappointed, sadly. I am considering further arm reduction surgery. Could you remove the side boob skin at the same time as an arm reduction? Is this a specialty area of yours? I am. Great, thing. Yeah, um, so first question, could you do it? Yes, you could, Loco Loopy lose. Uh, arm reduction, you kind of can extend it on here to try and tighten this bit, um, which might address your problem. Uh, it kind of depends on how bad it is. Um, I've got to be honest. So, is it a special area, of, a specialty area of mine? I've got to be honest with you, loco loopy loose. Arm reduction is not a common operation for me. Um, I only do breast and body, so I only I don't do any faces. I don't do any non-surgical. But the majority of my work is kind of breast reshaping, whether it be lifts and whatever implants and reductions and tummy tucks. Um, things like arm reductions, thigh lifts are not as common as the breast and, and tummy surgery because the scar is a little bit obvious the scar goes down the arm so in my hands and in my practice it's only for people who've lost a lot of weight got a lot of skin there who will accept that scar because a lot of people say i hate my arms don't want to show them in public and then i give you a big scar down your arm and you still hate it and you still don't want to show it in public so it's like mm. so um i wouldn't say it's kind of like a specialty area of mine i wouldn't say arm reduction is a specialty area of mine i'm not sure if there is anyone who's kind of got a specialty area of arm reduction maybe there is but um uh but it's something that i 
do for sure do. And again, so an arm reduction is only people for a lot of skin. So the thing that you're talking about with the bra strap is really, if you're extending your arm reduction, you kind of would want quite a lot of excess skin in that area. So it's really for people who lost a lot of weight. Um, if you if it's only modest, then liposuction might be kind of a less invasive because putting a big scar crossing the axilla can be a bit of an issue. So uh, uh, liposuction obviously is less scarring because you just make little stab incisions. So liposuction will be an alternative way of addressing the, certainly with the skin here, not so good with the arm because the skin doesn't recoil, but certainly with the, the, uh, the, the um, whatever you want to call it, the bra strap fullness could be addressed with liposuction, which might be less invasive than extending the arm reduction. But since you asked the question, yes, you can extend an arm reduction onto the lateral chest wall to tighten that skin. But uh, I would say that's only reserved for people with an awful lot of skin because it's increasing your risk of complications if you're bringing the scarring onto that area. Um, but it's certainly something that can be done. Uh, and it's again, it's a balance and it's having the conversation pre-op so you don't get disappointment post-op. So, you know, obviously liposuction wouldn't remove skin. So there might be some redundant skin there. So you might say, I'm not happy with that. In this case, you can have the excision, but excision is going to give you a bigger scar with more risk of healing problems. Etc. So you you know you, you just we're always trying to avoid disappointment. To be honest with you, loco loopy-loos, and it's always stress not stressful but sad when someone's disappointed over something. Particularly if the surgeon kind of thinks they've done a good result. You know, if the surgeon feels oh, I've done a great lift with implants, and you're like, yeah, but what about this bit? And he's like, well, that that was never going to get fixed. Well, that's a kind of failure of communication, which is sad to get an unhappy patient. From a failure of communication, um, and I'm sorry that you're that you're you're uh, disappointed with the surgery. Um, if, if you're disappointed just for that reason, because that was probably never going to be addressed, and uh, you weren't even thinking it was, which is sad, isn't it? But uh, but yeah. So I would say so. The problem with all this stuff, like answering stuff on these videos and things, I'll give you kind of ideas in general terms. You know, you kind of need someone to examine you and to uh, talk through the pros and cons. It's very ha hard to say to someone, yeah, you haven't extended one that goes onto your arm. It's like, well, you've got to see someone, you've got to see the skin laxity to s and, and talk about the pros and cons because it's all very well saying, yes, you can do an extended one, but it's like, well, is it kind of worth it for the risks? There's always going to be good things about doing it and bad things about doing it, and you've got to balance that up. And uh, the good things are often judged by you and how much you're bothered by the excess skin. The bad things we can tell you, but the good things only you know. So you have to weigh those bad things against the good things to see whether it's worth doing. You know, are you going to just do a bit of liposuction or are you going to extend that uh, that arm reduction onto your lateral chest, lateral chest wall? But uh, yeah, you're very welcome, loco loopy loos, for my in-depth response and thinking emoji that's good is that, I is that i didn't even know that was a that was an emoji but there you go learn something new every day so thank you um let me just check oh is that the time look uh candice has just joined what are you doing love it's uh 7 36 what time do you call this yeah seven o'clock this starts right anyway don't worry you can watch the replay it's been amazing um you've missed some uh, quite uh, quite amazing information um so if that is all i will i will take leave of myself and uh, exit stage left
Um, thank you very much for your uh, interaction, Loco and Jackie. Gold star to both of you. Uh, well done, news. And um, so, yeah, I'm going to head off and uh, put my feet up, and I suggest you do likewise. So same time, same place, 7 o'clock next Tuesday. I will see you back in the house. So um, stop the stream. That was Facebook. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.